0: On today's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, Frank DeBoer is unemployed, the round of 16 is here, and Dave Saracan to Atlanta United. I'm Stephen Jodderin and this is Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Now, listeners, if you haven't done so, hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, and follow us at Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Now, let's get to today's episode. Alrighty, listeners, we are back here with a weekend edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. And uh, who would have thought we'd be having so much soccer breaking news on a Friday night? But Jake, I can see you in my monitor. You're staying over at your TV. You got baseball playing. You're a pretty happy man. Let me ask you, without fans, is it strange watching baseball, especially uh, after watching soccer without fans in stadiums?
1: No, because the, the baseball cro- crowd noise they pipe in is like that dull, just like the you know when you listen to a baseball game, it's kind of like that dull roar
0: where it's just people in the yeah, stands having conversations, right, on their phones other. and not paying attention, and then the ball comes well, and splats the, the them thing, right in the head.
1: Right. Well, the thing with fake soccer noise is, uh, it's I don't even know how to describe it. It it, it just seems like when someone like when someone scored a, scored a goal during one of those FS1 broadcasts the cheers for when the, the, the goal happened seems so on soccer like if you will. Like, that's not the kind of crowd roar you hear or the chants they tried to put in subtly underneath the game. Like, that's not—I don't know. It just—it uh, didn't mesh well with MLS. I'll, I'll I'll concede that. I still prefer the crowd noise, but it just didn't mesh, mesh well with uh, MLS's back tournament.
0: Justin, I never got your opinion on this. How do you feel about the crowd noise? pumped in
2: for for the tv broadcast on fox sports i'm okay with having like just a regular kind of crowd in the background but i think jake's right in terms of like when a goal is scored or when a foul is committed or something the noise is like delayed by a second or two so then it almost feels like everything kind of happened and then you hear people cheering or booing or whatever it may be so i mean it's obviously not going to be perfect because it's going to have these awkward moments but I'm relatively indifferent about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, on today's episode, we're recording this, as I mentioned, Friday night, July 24th. And boy, who would have thought we'd be having so much Major League Soccer news here on this Friday night? Ugh. And uh, listeners, plenty to get to. I, w- I want to begin uh, with this.
1: I read something, uh, some some quote from uh, the worst manager in the history of the Premier League, um, Frank DeBoer. Uh, seven matches, seven defeats, zero goals. Um, where he was saying that uh, it's not good for Marcus Rashford to have uh, a coach like me, because uh, the most important thing for me is to win. If he was coached by Frank, he would learn how to lose, because he lost every game.
0: That is right. Frank the Boer is the subject. Of tonight's show. He's on his way out. He's unemployed. Jake. <laughs> we just talked about this on the other episode. On uh, on how hot his seat was. And boy, Atlanta pulled the plug during a pandemic. Uh
1: Jose was right. Jose was right. He's always right. That's why he's uh that's why he's one of the goats in my mind when it comes to managers in soccer. I don't think either of you agree with that. Uh but he was right. Frank DeBoer, I mean, look, we said this before this podcast, before this season, Frank DeBoer's not a great coach, not great for Atlanta United. They, at All the fun and all the excitement that was with that club, that their first two years under Tata, was sucked out from them when Frank DeBoer arrived as manager. They weren't fun to watch. I mean, there was players butting heads with him and disagreements of, of, of style of play. And I mean and you kind of saw that in the NLS's back tournament in Orlando, no goals scored, just boring to watch and who would have thought before this tournament started FC Cincinnati would have advanced and Atlanta United did not. Who thought who saw that coming?
0: Justin, you you mentioned on last episode that and, and look, I think this was a fair assessment from you. So I'm not trying to call you out one way or the other, but It just seemed like why would Atlanta get rid of their coach on a shortened season during a pandemic after three games?
2: Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I I thought it made more sense to kind of wait out the regular season and just see what DeBoer could do. Hopefully Joseph gets back from injury and they can try and figure something out, maybe a little bit more time to work with the players he brought in. But, you know, looking at this, I am not bothered by it in any way. I think it it makes somewhat of a of a good move. Um because Atlanta now have this kind of pause between the tournament and the regular season to scout out and see who's available. Um try and get them acclimated and give them this kind of weird regular season to get used to their squad and then see what they need going forward when they go into that January window. And then when we go into the twenty twenty one season.
0: Guys let me let me read you this. This is from the athletic this is from Felipe Cardenas, and Paul Tenorio. Inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium locker room last May, a few hours before their game against Toronto FC, Atlanta United players watched the second leg of their UEFA Champions League semi-final between Ajax and Tottenham Hotspur. When the Brazilian winger Lucas Moura's stoppage time winner trickled past Ajax goalkeeper Andre Oana, knocking out the Dutch on aggregate score a large chunk of Atlanta's locker room erupted in cheers outside the room within earshot of the celebrations sat the person from whom the cheers were targeted Atlanta coach Frank Deboer a former Ajax great yikes ouch i mean that that locker room never liked frank deboer despite the success that he had winning Wait. two trophies
1: how do we know that there's not just a bunch of Tottenham Hotspur fans in the Atlanta United <laughs> locker room?
0: Jake. Like, really? Come on. You really? come on.
1: <laughs> hmm. I don't know. This might this sounds like maybe fake news. I don't know. Sounds like we're connecting I, Look, you're probably right. It probably they probably were cheering for Spurs because of the uh Frank to board link to IX. And that that's uh that's definitely a. Uh, a new level of uh, petty reached there by the Atlanta United uh, locker room there, I must say. But
0: but it just seemed like it, it just wasn't – it was never a good match,
2: was it? No, I don't I don't think it ever was. I mean, all credit to DeBoer. I mean, he brought an Open Cup to them last year. Um, and you know, this new Campeones Cup, they won it. Um, and I think for the most part, people were trying to give him the benefit of the doubt of trying to turn Atlanta into his own team, you know, transform it from what Tata had into what Frank wanted. Uh, and you can see by some of the transfers, I mean, like LGP left, Marone was obviously sold to Newcastle, Valba left, Gressel was traded and he brought in players like Hinman, Brooks, Len- uh, Brooks Lennon, Mesa, Roseto, and even pity Martinez. But you could argue none of those players have really hit the ground running or really, done much to kind of prove why Frank brought them in to change the system in the first place. Uh, So then you start kind of questioning whether the manager kind of knows what he's doing in terms of the personnel and the style he wants. And then you look at players that were already there like Barco. I mean, him and Pity were supposed to be those two creative midfielders that Joseph would feed off of. And while there were moments that it would happen and Joseph kind of did his thing in goal scoring, it never really seemed like the three of them or even the two of them between Barco and and Pity Martinez were really ever clicking.
0: What I find really fascinating, guys, about the f- the sacking of Frank DeBoer at Atlanta United is this last these last two senses of this athletic piece. They write this quote: "The one one thing is certain: Atlanta United is in crisis mode. How the club manages will decide both the short and long term future of the organization." In crisis mode. In crisis mode. Like, this is Atlanta United. In crisis mode. Am I... Is this an overstatement? It feels like an overstatement. For a lot of clubs, it's probably an overstatement. But I think Arthur Blank
1: demands... He demands attractive football. I mean, let's face it. Soccer in this country isn't the number one sport not every kid grows up and says, I want to play soccer in this country. It's usually they want to play in the NFL or the NBA. Uh, and you have to also look at it from the fact that they're in the South. So you're competing against college football in the NFL. So I think Arthur Blanks sees the product on the field and go, this is boring. This is so not it's exciting. a stylistic
0: thing. They're in crisis well, mode because th- it's a stylistic thing.
1: That and I, I think they so Frank went out there with. and
0: played beautiful soccer. And lost 5-4 to four every time. He'd still have his job? No. No, he wouldn't
1: have his job. I mean, look, they played beautiful football under Tata, and they won. They won all the time. You know? So, so like, is it a winning thing, this this or is it like a stylistic thing? This isn't, this isn't an Arsenal thing with Arsene Wenger, you know what I mean? It, it, it is a stylistic thing. It is, it, it's, a, it's definitely a stylistic thing. And then when you're playing crappy football, it's not fun to watch, and then you're going out and losing now to... The likes of FC Cincinnati. I mean, that's where, but you but know, the, I don't the know where meets the road for Frank DeBoer. Right,
0: but it, it goes back to what Justin said last episode, in which, how is Atlanta United going to? Is this a justifiable sacking of a manager after a wacky uh, beginning of a season, in which we're in the midst of a pandemic and it's three
2: group stage games? Yeah, they lost every single one. Well, I mean, I think it comes from that anecdote that you read from the athletic piece about the players kind of, you know, cheering towards Debore. It, it just it wasn't just that the product on the field wasn't good, it just seemed like, you know, the locker room wasn't even behind him or really buying into his system. Um and in terms of it being like a stylistic thing or a winning thing, you know, Tata found the balance between playing attractive soccer and winning. And I think if De Boer managed to implement his more reserved style of play and got the best out of Barco and pity and Joseph Martinez to play that you know quote unquote exciting soccer up front while as the rest of their team kind of did the defensive and, and little work um, it, it would have been excused because they were winning and they had some type of excitement going on even though they were playing more reserved but you yeah know, none of that happened they had a winning record I mean De Boer went 24 and 15 um in all his league matches
0: and and he he got what to the conference finals last year yeah he, he
2: got them to the conference finals but then I think once you saw that Martinez was taken out of the lineup especially in this tournament there was no backup or there was no replacement for him there wasn't a Tito Villalba to fill in for him in that role and I think that's also where you know DeBoer fell short is he wasn't finding players to kind of replace the ones that had left properly and there weren't players who could fill in the stars that were still at their team.
1: Yeah. And guys, one thing I will add too, just about this firing, this is something a big club does. I mean, this this makes Atlanta feel like a big club, does it not?
0: <clears throat> Manchester United.
1: I might <laughs> not, not. I mean. I'm not going to compare to Manchester United. No, There's... I will.
0: I will. I never finished this point on last episode, but look, you're right. Jake, this makes them feel like a biggest, the biggest club. In fact, I think they're the biggest club in Major League Soccer. They have a true identity. It's clearly a, a message of the style of what they want to play. They're they're in Atlanta, a massive city in the United States. Not only that, they have a fan culture, and players kind of want to go to Atlanta. It, it worked. The— Whatever Atlanta did with their expansion franchise, it worked. Whatever, whatever magic, pixie dust, fairy tale, legacy name, whatever they did, whatever they did, it worked. And yeah, it does make them feel like a big club because it, it, they fired a guy after leading them to the conference finals, winning the U.S. Open Cup and the Champions Cup. Like, he put silverware in that club's history. On top of that, he has a winning record. And then, what, five games into the regular season, he's out the door? Yeah, Jake, you're right. Big club. Big club status from Atlanta United.
2: And I think you touched on something there, too, about um, you know players wanting to come to Atlanta and play. I think a big part of that was their personnel there, like the Almarones, who opened the door for Paraguayans to kind of come to the MLS but as, you know, players kind of lose their shine like Pity and like Barco and less attractive players from South America into the team, other players, other younger players like another Almiron or like another Barco or Villalba are going to look at Atlanta and say, they're not as good as they used to be. Maybe I'll look at a different MLS team to come in. And I think that's also a worry that Atlanta and their owners are looking at too, because they can't afford to lose that South American market. That's essentially what put them on the pedestal that they're on and they don't want to lose that foundation.
1: Well, look where a lot of those South American players are now going. Uh, I mean, you're starting to see a lot of young South American players heading for LAFC. I mean, with you know, Stefuentes, Rossi, uh, Rodriguez. I mean, there, there, there have been a number of signings that LAFC have made of young, exciting South American players recently. And I know, but I think what Justin's saying leads credence to, If a young South American player says, I want to go to MLS, but I got to play boring, crappy, not fun soccer with Frank DeBoer, or I can go play with Bob Bradley and Carlos Vela, where do you want to play? Because they're both both good teams, right? I mean, they're both through the upper echelon teams in the league, so I can go play expressive football with LAFC, or I can go and play pragmatic football with Atlanta United.
0: That's fair. All right, let's talk about... Potential replacements, let's speculate let's put our tinfoil hats here and uh, justin you you assembled in very interesting list of potential candidates
2: yeah, I mean I, this was largely just taking like a five ten minute look around at managers that you know didn't have a job but um or one actually does but had been linked to MLs teams previously um Marcelo Gallardo, I think is the biggest name that's kind of linked or maybe not linked right now, but will probably eventually be linked to them. Um, he coached Pity Martinez when he was at River Plate, and he kind of falls into that Tata, tata Martino role in being able to get this attractive soccer out of his team. Um, and I think it just brings that like South American finesse back to Atlanta. However, they could also go with uh, Leonardo Jardim, who was linked with uh, the Benfica job before George Jesus took over, and now he's linked with the Flamengo job, which George Jesus left to go coach Benfica, um, so
0: interconnected. So, I mean,
2: you know, <laughs> I think I think uh, joining a, a team that was doing well in Flamenco might attract him a little bit more. But I think Jardim's style of play uh, resembles that of Tatas, and the fact that um, he likes to have you know his his fullbacks get wide, his his wing players kind of come inside, and they play that attractive style of soccer. We saw it with Monaco when they won a uh, league in with him uh, in twenty seventeen. And the last one was Marco Silva, who just left Everton, who's probably the biggest oddball of the group, um, just because he doesn't really have a proven track record. But I think he plays a system that um, Atlanta's current group would be okay in. And if he kind of gets this weird regular season to find out what he has in the squad, he can make it better with the next transfer window and with the next offseason, I think.
1: Yeah. Now, Justin, I I do have an issue with your list here because I think you're missing two very attractive names that are very obvious that haven't been mentioned here. And I know everyone listening knows where I'm going with this. I think Justin, I'm looking at you here on our, on our Skype feed. I think you even know where I'm going with this. I'm a little disappointed that I haven't, or I haven't heard you throw out this name or I don't think I'm looking at right now. Uh, Sam Allardyce. I don't see his name. (laughs) Uh, See, don't know how this would work no david moise at west ham david, what, what, what about
0: what about jürgen klinsman
1: no i don't he'll, think he'll yeah I don't, he'll <laughs> never manage in MLS. i'm he'll, kidding the, the way he dumped all over don garber and mls when he was the national team manager he will never manage in
2: mls i but, mean it's to give you credit though sam allardyce usually comes in to stabilize the team so maybe he comes in kind of stabilizes them for the regular season You've got to keep them up,
1: you know? going to come in, <laughs> going to keep them up just above the drop, you know? So exactly. yeah, I think that yeah. Yeah, keep them in I the playoffs.
0: I guess the you know the keep line keep them in would, the playoffs, keep them in the exactly. playoffs above the line. No, uh and then the Athletic also said, you know, threw in Dominant Torrent and Miguel Herrera. I liked I liked Miguel Herrera. That would be a fun signing, but I think Justin you you, you said something spot on there. It's about the style. Right? Atlanta United need to find a manager in which the players want to play because they clearly revolted against Frank DeBoer's system despite the success they had. They weren't happy with it. They they were going to run with it last year because it pretty it led them silverware. It led them to the conference finals. Thinking about it, perfect moment to get rid of Frank DeBoer. You have three straight losses, so it's like, all right, cut the cord. It's already a freaky season. You could sit there and say, look, it was a lost season to begin with, so why not? you know, put in some interim manager and then spend the next three, four months looking for the ideal candidate. And then you, you, you kind of hit the reset button once the season's over and you go into 2021 20, uh, with hopefully a healthy Joseph Martinez and a, a full assembled squad whose morale is high with this new manager.
2: Yeah, it, it feels like them firing um, um, DeBoer now would lead you to think that they want to bring somebody in pretty quickly. I, I think I think them not somebody in now ahead of the regular season would be an opportunity missed. Because like I've been saying, you know, it just gets them act, uh, you know, used to the squad and it gets them to meet the squad and who they have in a season, like you're saying, is already kind of wacky. So at this point, it's like you really got nothing to lose if you bring them in and just let them do what they need to for this regular season. Um, but, yeah, they could also just bring in an interim coach and – take that time to look for the next replacement. Cause you obviously don't want to rush the next guy either.
1: Dave Sarah <laughs> <laughs> I got joke. I got jokes tonight, guys. I got, look, I, I said last week that I, I thought there was no way in hell they were going to fire DeBoer in Orlando or after the season. I didn't think it made sense with the pandemic. I don't know how you go out. I mean, with the pandemic and with the, the way that things are in the U S right now, I don't know how you go out and find his permanent replacement. I, I it, to me, it sounds like it, 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 it would make more sense. And I know I'm probably gonna eat crow for this. I'm sure the watch will pop that will, you know, hit the mics next weekend. And I'll be like, Oh, Atlanta United has got a new permanent manager. And it's this <laughs> guy who managed in Europe or whatever to me with the difficulties that the pandemic uh, brings currently, I just, I, I just don't see how it's not some assistant coach for the, the, the rest of the, Season and then they hire somebody in the fall or winter to uh, take over permanently for De Boer. Now, guys, last topic up for discussion: the round of sixteen in the MLS is back. Tournament kicks off tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow night with Orlando playing Montreal at eight PM Eastern, and then the Revs taking on the Union at ten thirty Eastern. And uh, of the day for you to, as well as our listeners, at sure. Pod, at Justin Sosa 99, at Stephen Jotteran, at Jake Watroba. What should these clubs' mentalities be heading into these knockout rounds? They don't matter for the regular season. They're essentially glorified preseason games at this point, with the one exception being you're going to qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League. But we've seen some clubs in the past, plus a million not bucks, really take that tournament plus a million bucks. But we've seen clubs in the past in this league not really take the Champions League all that seriously, a la Colorado Rapids a few years ago. <laughs> so, I mean, Justin, I'll give you the floor here. What should some of these clubs' mentalities be? Is it let's go in, win these games, or is it, are these just glorified scrimmages for teams like FC Cincinnati or San Jose or RSL?
2: I, I, I think the smaller teams like FC Cincinnati and, and, and like Montreal need to use the rest of these games or as many as they can get, if they get beyond the round of 16 as momentum going into the regular season. Cause I mean, you know, these are teams that we weren't necessarily expecting to make it this far in the tournament to begin with Vancouver too. Um, So at this point, I think them more than anybody need to kind of just keep this good momentum going and, and build on what they already had in the group stage so that when it does come to the regular season and when the games do matter, they've already got that confidence and that kind of mojo to go in and do the job to make the playoffs afterwards. Justin, do you, do you think
0: that like say Thierry Henry, does he look at it and go on like, okay, this is survive in advance. This is tournament football. We got to grind the result out. Or is he going there and going like, screw the result. This is an extra 90 minutes to work on my system. And if, if or if Montreal go down one nothing in the 60th minute or if they're up one nothing in the 60th minute is Thierry Henry going to tweak his system in which it's going to be no I want you to stay firm and they're going to ignore the score line but really work on his on his system so that way like as you mentioned when the regular season comes around when there's points at stake playoff positions uh that they're they're going to feel confident that in in their ability to succeed
2: i think with Henri, we saw it in the concaf champions league that uh he sets up montreal to be good in these knockout uh kind of competitions or at least these stages of tournaments um i don't think he even has a, a squad set to kind of implement this style of play that he may want. I don't really think he has a set style of play yet. He had very limited time with Monaco as a head coach to really get a grasp for what he wanted. I just think that for now, he wants Montreal to be defensively sound. And what we've seen from them in the group stage and from the two games in the regular season back in March is going to continue throughout um, you know, this tournament, or at least as far as they go in the knockout stages.
0: Okay, but... It- that's fair. Great. Uh, but what about other managers? What's Bruce Arena thinking? Oscar Pereira, Adrian Heath, Bob Bradley. Uh, uh, forgetting the name of, of Seattle's coach. Every coach, basically. Yeah, exactly. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I think for every team, you know, it's, it's difficult to not look at these games and kind of say, well, we've done what we needed to for the regular season. Let's just kind of go with the flow at this point. And if we make it to the final, then we make it to the final. Um, I still think, though, that these coaches and these players are here and they didn't travel to Orlando and play through this heat and through this you know, horrible weather and these kind of wacky conditions to at least not give it a go to win this, to win this title and to win the rewards that come with it. Uh, so I think we can expect coaches to throw out their strongest teams maybe they they feel a little bit more freedom to to experiment with with a player or two here and there but i i think for the most part we'll see full strength of 11s from everybody
0: jake I, I i'm curious to know what these managers are thinking are they you know this could be a great team confidence booster for the regular season right justin's talking about this momentum how good would it be for a Minnesota united to go out there and win some, some, some silverware, whatever the meaning of that silverware may be, whatever. And then ride that into this new 18-game regular season format that will follow MLS's back tournament.
1: And more on that 18-game regular season schedule uh, next week as we uh, talk about that later this weekend there, Stephen. But... I, I I do think, yeah, I mean, if you're a club that comes in here uh, in these knockout rounds, if you're I mean any one of these clubs really, you could definitely argue that if you go on and win this, this is definitely a huge con- uh, confidence booster. This is definitely a win in your sale as we approach the the regular season like look, all the, you talked to all the, any of these managers no, no one's going to say, well, I hope we lose in the first round that you know I, I would love to just lose. We'll have, you know, what looks to be three to four weeks off. We can then do training again. And they, they, there's nothing like there's nothing like playing a game. There's nothing like getting that, that match fitness going. And and I, I just think that a lot of these teams, uh, I mean, FC Cincinnati included, a lot of them want an extended stay in, in Orlando. And, and they want to win as many games as they possible and, and survive in advance. And hopefully they're hoisting the MLS's back yeah. cup, I guess, if you will. So uh, I, I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find a manager in Orlando that's not taking this seriously. Yeah,
0: I, I just wonder, though, if, if what are these managers going into? going? Will they transform their system, something in which they want to implement for the sake of the result to survive in advance? Will an Oscar Pereira suddenly become parking the bus for the final 35 minutes against Montreal Saturday night to survive and advance to the quarterfinals? I don't know. And speaking of Orlando-Montreal, there are some sexy matchups. Sounders-LAFC, Crew-Minnesota, Toronto versus NYCFC. Out of the, the eight games there, what do you think is the most enticing?
1: I'm not going to pick the obvious one because there's a very obvious one. Okay. Well, and I think Justin was going to say, well, no, I, the, the, few, the few, the, the last podcast, Justin had said, said a couple of things that I thought weren't so obvious. So maybe he's a guy that likes to take the, the path less traveled here for me. The matchup that I think is the sexiest, if you will, I, I think Philly, New England. Really? Would be the Yeah. Yeah, I, I've I've enjoyed dating back to last season. I enjoyed watching Philadelphia play. I think they're a fun team to play with. I uh, you know, my guy Shabuko. You know, we all know <laughs> yeah, this yes. podcast. I like that guy. Yes, you uh, do. Uh, and look, Bruce Arena. We've talked about it time and time again. And Steven. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the revs this episode, Steven. This isn't Finally. no, this isn't your time to talk about the revs. This is my time.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, Take, I've I'm converted still, this man.
1: I'm stealing your touchdown call. I mean, with Gustavo Bo, with Bruce Arena. Look, I mean, this team—I don't know what it is—but Bruce Arena, I feel like can sprinkle a little pixie dust on this team, and he can probably—he he could get them to the final. And I don't know, man. I just think Philly Revs. I—I I, I think that those are two even. Uh, those are two teams that match up well. I think you could flip a coin in that game, and I think it could be super interesting. Now, like I said, there's an obvious game, there's an obvious matchup on Monday night, late Monday night, that I think everybody will be circling on their calendar for uh, or their schedule. But for me, I mean, if we're looking, if we're, if we're going to ignore that game. I'm taking Phillies reps.
0: Interesting, interesting yeah. that you say it's a a coin toss. Jay Corn, to five thirty eight. Philadelphia is fifty seven percent. Uh, likely to win. New England only 43. Um, uh, there are several other 50-50 games. Toronto, uh, or there are a few 50-50 games, very close games. In fact, Toronto 50-50 of the NYCFC, San Jose, Real Salt Lake 50-50 there. Uh, your Minnesota United are actually underdogs against Columbus Crew. But uh, Justin, let me ask you, uh, what's the what's the sexy matchup here? Is is it the obvious Seattle Sounders versus LAFC?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's kind of looking at that as 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 the the match to watch, especially because it's a repeat of the Western Conference Finals from last year. Um, but I I agree with Jake in, in that Philly and New England is an intriguing matchup because you have players like Pania, Bow, and and Hill who can kind of create some some magic for the Revs, and you have Philly who just like to attack. So something to me says that this game could be like a 5-5 to penalties type of thing. Oh, yes, give it to us. If everybody's just, you know, if if the revs are clicking and Philly's pressing and both teams are kind of just like throwing defense out the window because, I mean, you know, neither team really has a great defense, but I wouldn't say they have a bad defense. It's just the creativity and offensive um, nature that both teams can kind of manifest, I think, is going to make this a high-scoring game. But yeah. as, far as, as far as the game to watch, um, I think San Jose and RSL might be interesting. I, I think San Jose are going to force RSL out of this kind of defensive shell that we've seen them play in. And I think that'll be interesting to see if, if RSL can kind of create something in the final third and, and be more progressive and attacking than we have seen already.
0: You know what's really interesting? LAFC is 63% favorite. Versus Seattle. Only 37% chance. seems like, Jake, if I were a betting man, Seattle would be a gross underdog. Um, the other matchup I'm actually really interested in is Orlando City-Montreal. Because these are two clubs that no one had expectations for. Here they are. One of them is going to have a quarterfinal appearance. A chance to be in the semifinals. I'm curious to know how these two squads look at each other. Going like, I think both of them believe that they can go in and win, and I think that's fascinating. Here you have two, you know, smaller dogs in the fight. Do they really look at it thinking they could win this tournament? Probably not, but they could make some noise. I, I think there there is there is something to it. Now, this is a this is something that uh, Justin, you had r- written down in our pre-show notes here is, what is the single greatest underdog? Like if we were to say this team won would it be shocking is it is it so obvious that fc cincinnati if they beat portland it would be that big of a shock for everybody
2: i don't well i mean if they beat portland yes even though they have the wins over atlanta and the red bulls i think i mean i have portland winning the whole th- the whole thing i said this last show i you know i really backed the timbers to kind of do something special at this tournament but i think the Timbers are a much better team all around in comparison to the Red Bulls in Atlanta. And I think Cincinnati are going to find it a lot harder to sit in that shell when they have players like Blanco and like Valeri who can work in those compressed spaces and kind of open up defenses, even when they want to be super compact. I would, I would say Montreal has the biggest, I guess, underdog uh, label on them. If they were to make some runs to the final or win the tournament, only because they're playing Orlando who's coming into this game hot and if they if they manage to beat Orlando they have to play either Seattle or LAFC so and that might be their their biggest challenge if they are to make the final because then after that they're playing one of the other teams in the other bracket on the other side of the bracket who will most likely be the crew who outside of LAFC have probably been the best team at the tournament and then they have to win the final just in general so you know they've got a tough road if if they're going to be the, the biggest underdog and then kind of win this whole thing if they do.
0: I, I, I really hope some of these teams just have fun with it. Some managers it's like, look, boys, we, we've done the job. We've gotten the results for the regular season. Let's go out there and have some fun. Let's see if we can make some noise. Like, w- What stops Montreal for having the belief, saying, like, look, no one believes that we should really be here. Same with Orlando. Same with FC Cincinnati. No one pegged them to be at this stage. A lot of them thought they would crash out, especially FC Cincinnati, right, Jake? No one thought they would beat the Red Bulls and Atlanta United. But here they are—a chance, you know. I, I, get one of the favorites, right? P- pull a Greece, like remember,
1: remember when uh, Jurgen Klinsmann like to throw around the uh, the Greeks winning the Euros? Uh, what was it, two thousand four? Four. That yeah. the- they won it. In Portugal, yeah, And Port or here, Justin. Oh yeah, pull Portugal. Yep. yep. I mean, it's a one-off uh, tournament. Weird things happen. Who knows? I mean, I think you guys, you guys had mentioned. Look, if Montreal or Orlando wh- whoever wins that game, I mean, yeah, they they face a buzzsaw in either Seattle or LFC. And if, if for whatever reason they were to beat either one of those two teams, they got to go up against probably the the uh, the crew. Um for me I think our team you guys forgot to mention I mean the white caps I mean do any of us anticipate the white caps doing anything are, are they still using an mls pool uh goalkeeper
2: I, as- I was just going to say steven for you know if if you're looking for a team where the coach is kind of like let's just go out there and and see what we can do the white caps are definitely it mm-hmm. I just think there's so many players missing through injury or whatever it may be that you know they're kind of just at a happy to be here type of type of moment. And that's a dangerous to play. play yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think when they go out against SKC, the strategy might be go out, see what you can do, you know, try and frustrate them because I'm pretty sure they'll give possession to SKC for the entire match if they could. And then they'll just try and hit him on the counterattack through Jordy Reyna like they did with the fire.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Listeners, we want to know. How, how? What's your excitement level for for MLS is back? I, I you know, I think I'm, I'm pretty excited now that we we've gotten out of the group stage. It was fun. I think, uh, I think as the tournament got went on, I think the games started to like mean stuff. You get the points, you had the third place teams. Now it's knockout stage. Let's see what these teams have. I, I'm I'm excited for it. And uh, let's let's end on this note, boys. MLS is back. Obviously, we have the NBA coming around the corner. MLB is here opening weekend is, is now the NBA is next week. You got NFL on the horizon. Is, is this it for MLS or are we, is this, are they going to now be on the back page of sports or do they have an opportunity here to have some fun now that it's a knockout stage? And in fact that there's there's silverware to be played for the, in, within the next two weeks.
1: Do you want to end on a positive note or a negative note?
0: Well, you're, you're Mr. Negative. So let's go to
2: Justin.
1: So Justin, why don't, Justin, why not you take this one then? And I'll, and I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll end
2: things. I think, I think it's definitely unfortunate that the knockout rounds kind of align with MLB and NBA coming back. Um, you know, you got to look at how MLS marketed the tournament in general. And I don't think they did a great job with it. Um, Cause had they done so, we would have had an audience for the group stage, you know, regardless of whether the soccer was super, super great or, or, you know, five, three, six, two games every single night. Um, Cause we would have, we would have at least had some attention stay with us to see who won this tournament. Um, so I think we are going to, to miss out on, on a large audience kind of seeing who does win this tournament. But I also think that for the small number of people that we may have attracted to watch MLS a little bit more, well, at least have that to kind of put in our back pocket and say, you know what, we were the first men's professional league to come back and finish out an entire, you know, kind of tournament uh, style um, season, which is something I think everybody doubted would happen, especially when Dallas and Nashville went home. So I think the positive to take from this whole thing is they put it together. They had a plan. They followed it and pretty soon they'll have finished the entire plan and they can just say you know what we did it first we set the blueprint um along with the nwsl and that's all they can kind of you know tip their hats to
1: all right guys i'm gonna rain on everyone's parade here
2: i hope you're all ready for this
1: i think steve that you posted the question of, will MLS become back page news once the
0: NBA let comes me guess. back to the Let me guess. Let me guess. It's already back page news.
1: It's been back page news. This whole tournament was back page news. I mean, come on, man. You have all these... You turn on ESPN, and they could be coming out of one of the games on MLS, and we're talking about a Dak Prescott potential contract extension, or we're talking about what LeBron James ate in the bubble today, or (laughs) we're talking about Mookie Betts signing a contract extension. Uh, You know, is college football going to be played this year? I mean, the list goes on and on. I don't want to be this guy and say MLS sucks or come off like that, but I just don't believe it was ever front-page news to begin with. I mean, look at the TV ratings. I mean, we talked about them last last weekend, 296,000 viewers was the average on uh, the ESPN networks. And they were literally only competing against NWSL. So, I mean, those, and there was nothing else on. So I think those numbers kind of tell the whole story. I just feel like they've been uh, back page news the entire time, but listeners before we go question of the day, again, what should coaches mentalities be? Heading into the knockout rounds, should they take this seriously or should it just be we're just gonna this is like a practice run for us, Jake? If uh, as we get ready if, for um, the restart of the regular season, Jake, you can follow the sh-
0: if Minnesota United win this trophy, are, are you gonna celebrate as as this is being? Oh, we're uh,
1: popping we're popping the bottles, baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as as a Minnesota sports fan, I don't. When's the last time you saw somebody lift some silverware? Uh,
1: uh i saw the links lift a couple WNBA titles uh uh i think the last one was six years ago five years ago somewhere in that time frame so that was the last time i was alive for a twins world series championship albeit i was two years old but yeah we uh we celebrate uh any kind of achievement we celebrate up here okay this is loserville usa so but anyways that's the show Follow us on Twitter at UncSamSoccerpod. Follow Justin at Justin Sosa99. Follow Steven Joderan at Stephen Joderan. And you can follow myself at Jake Latroba Mr. Negative. Mr. Negative.